You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Good morning. Sorry, I didn't even turn my my (laughs) mic on properly. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday. Oh, I always forget the date, the 12th of February. You're on Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna. And I'm Judy Peskett. And joining us for the first time, our new presenter and broadcaster with Asia Pacific Currents, it's Pia Chaveri. Welcome, Pia. Thanks, Giselle. And as we did to Jodie, we did put her on the spot. We're going to put you on the spot. Tell us a little bit about yourself so the listeners know who you are. I'm a social worker and also a trainer, OHS trainer at Victorian Trades Hall Council and a member of the ASU VicTAS branch. Um, and I've been um, very fortunate to be able to come here today and join you both. Excellent. Thank you and welcome. Um, I should also tell listeners that Pia and I, when we were in the community sector together, worked on a bunch of campaigns, including rights for women prisoners. So um, Pia's social justice campaigning goes a long way. And of course, we were both at the ASU for that landmark equal pay campaign where we challenged the uh, wages of community sector workers against uh, industry standards. Um, so a stalwart trade unionist and activist is our Pia Chaveri. Of course. <laughs> Damn, she's talking you up. <laughs> of course, Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the web or the w's.aawl.org.au. We are on Facebook and Twitter. So look us up on those social media platforms. In the second part of the show, uh, Asia Pacific Currents commemorates and acknowledges Tamil Oppression Day. It is known in Sri Lanka as Independence Day, but of course it marked the ongoing oppression of the Tamil people. And we'll hear from Renuga Impakumar, who is from the Tamil Refugee Council, and that's in the second part of the show. But of course, first up, news from around the region. Right, I'm up first, um, and first off, we're in Myanmar, um, where there's a continuing continuing struggle for democracy. You have to excuse me, because I've got a little tickle in my throat. More than a year after the military seized control of the dramatically elected government of Myanmar, the people, including the trade union movement, continued to mobilise in support of democracy. The International Union of Food, Agriculture, Hotel, Restaurant, Catering, Tobacco and Allied Workers Association continues to call for a return to democracy for a return to democracy in Myanmar and for targeted sanctions against all companies involved with military business or the military cronies, including calls on Hilton Worldwide and Accord to immediately cease their business relationships with agents of the Tatmadaw, Myanmar's military dictatorship. The IUF stands with its sister global unions in calling for recognition of the National Unity Government and the United Nations. IUF General Secretary Secretary Sue Longley stated it is is unconscionable that companies like Hilton and Accord continue to fuel a regime of death and oppression more than a year after the coup d'etat. Sorry. It is time for companies to stop funding the military regime and to support the will of the people for an immediate return to to democracy. 
And in Thailand, the Thai Inquirer has reported that the Royal Thai Police are continuing to target anti-government dissidents and members of the press by attending homes and stalking relatives and friends of their targets. This is an unrelenting program of harassment and intimidation that's been carried out against these people. According to ILAW, at least 18 activists and journalists, including Siroti Klampai Boon, a prominent reporter for Voice TV, has been visited by the police at their house between the 1st and 24th of January this year. University student protest groups are calling for an investigation into the police. Amarat Chokimpamitukul, who is an MP um, for the Move Forward Party, states the police have been doing this continuously. They've not stopped, especially in rural areas. Amaret added, what I believe is, disgu- is disgusting is when they visit the houses and they could not find the activists, they will psychologically harass their family or neighbours instead. She said that officers usually do the, ask the neighbours about the whereabouts and the daily activities of the activists, and then told them to beware of the activist as a dangerous individual and a threat to national security. Such visits are not one-offs, but are regular. Okay, and in a major breakthrough in the efforts of the Garment and Textile Workers Union in Karnataka, India, the Workers' Rights Consortium and a growing list of labour rights advocates have uh, to address the refusal of suppliers in Karnataka to pay the legal minimum wage, a violation that has affected 400,000 workers who are actively owed nearly $60 million. Shahi Exports, the country's top exporter, became the first to commit to pay arrears. Shahi Exports, India's largest garment manufacturer, has announced that it will begin paying its 80,000 workers in Karnataka immediately the correct minimum wage and will provide them with full back pay for the prior underpayment, which is estimated to total $10 million since a minimum wage increase went into effect in April 2020. Shahi has committed that roughly half this back pay will be paid to workers in the next 10 days. Despite these being legal minimum wages, payment of which should have never been denied in the first place, Shahi's commitment is a significant step forward. It will benefit workers who will produce apparel for many major brands, including H&M, Abercrombie & Fitch and Nike. With this important garment supplier committed to pay in full, it is vital that the payment be issued immediately and that all former as well as current workers are paid and that other suppliers in the region follow suit. Right, now we're in Cambodia. The IUF is calling for the immediate release and the unconditional dropping of all charges against eight union leaders involved in a strike at Nagar World Casino Hotel in Cambodia. An urgent action together with Labor Start has been launched today. On December 18, 2021, IUF affiliate LRSU launched a strike to protest Naga World Management's refusal, refusal to negotiate concerning the forced mass redundancy of over 1,300 workers that left many destitute. The union made every effort to negotiate a solution, but management refused to talk and even failed to attend a mediation session convened by the Ministry of Labor. On December 31st, Police raided LRUSU's office and arrested nine people. Further arrests took place on January 3rd and 4th, including on January 4th. LRSU president Sitha Chim was violently arrested on the picket line by plainclothes police. The IAUF asked the ILO to intervene as a matter of urgency with the government of Cambodia to to seek guarantees on the safety of those arrested and to request their immediate release from custody and the dropping of the criminal charges. 
Eight people are currently being detained, charged under the criminal code with incitement, a charge which carries a sentence of up to five years imprisonment. In a letter to Sam, De Sam Detch Hunsen, Prime Minister of Cambodia, Guy Ryder, Director General of the International Labour Organisation, expressed his deep concern over the arrests of workers and union activists involved in the peaceful strike. The letter stresses that arrests and, and imprisonment in connection with peaceful strike action constitutes a serious interference with civil liberties in general and trade union rights in particular, and recalls that the preventative, the preventative detention of trade union leaders for activities connected with the exercise of their rights is contrary to the principles of freedom of association. The Director-General's letter concludes with an appeal to the Prime Minister to use his powers to ensure the immediate release from custody of all detained workers and the dropping of all criminal charges related to their trade union activity. That is an excellent story and actually we're working on an interview about the um, Naga world leaders and we're in contact with our comrades in Cambodia. Moving to Indonesia, the IUF and affiliates are calling on Marriott, which is the um, hotel company, to resolve ongoing rights disputes, including the opportunistic terminations of trade union members and leaders in Indonesia under the guise of COVID-related downsizing and efficiencies. Despite 80 to 100% occupancy at the Marriott Courtyard Bandung Dago, local ma management has unfairly terminated 15 workers, including the union president, using efficiency as an excuse for the terminations. Earlier this year, during the temporary closure of the, ho of the hotel, IUF affiliate FSPM and management negotiated an agreement on wage reductions. But management also abolished the weekly day off and overtime pay and has sought further layoffs, all of which the union has contested with the government's manpower industry, ministry. Rather. The IUF General Secretary, Sue Longley, has stated, basic rights like the freedom of association and the right to collectively bargain are all too often denied in Marriott hotels. Marriott also ignores warnings from public authorities to comply with laws and contracts. We cannot tolerate this behaviour and will always stand by our affiliates and their members in the fight for justice. Okay, and... Um on Human Rights Day, December 10th, 2021, the IUF joined with their sister global unions in a day of action to demand an end to human and trade union rights violations in the Philippines. IUF affiliates gathered in the streets of Manila to demand rights and justice for the people of the Philippines. There have been 50 extrajudicial killings of trade unionists under President Duterte's Administration, attacks on freedom of association have been systematic under the 2020 Anti-Terrorism Act and the National Task Force to End Local Communist Armed Conflict, championed by President Duterte, serves, as, serves in practice to bust independent trade unionism. 17 union leaders have been targeted by state security agents or the industrial police for t leading trade union activities. 16 have been criminalised with trumped up charges and 12 trade unionists remain incommunicado. In Global and national unions are calling for an immediate ILO tripartite mission to the Philippines, an investigation into the extrajudicial killings of trade unionists and a commitment with concrete policies and practices from the government to end the targeting of trade unionists and their legitimate activities. 
And, of course, the elections in the Philippines are happening in May uh, and we'll bring you a bit more coverage. We've done a little bit last year and we'll bring you a bit more coverage of those elections in the coming weeks. It's 13 minutes past 9 o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. We're going to go to some community announcements and then our feature story for the morning. Common Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Common Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter. G'day, this is Richard Franklin. When you've got voice, you've got freedom. Be a little bit free and support 3CR. The Sri Lankan government celebrated the 74th anniversary of the country's independence from the British Empire on the 4th of February. But for Tamil-speaking people on the island, 4th of February 1948 marks the day one oppressor handed power to another. It was Tamil Oppression Day. From that day onward, local politicians promoting Sinhala Buddhist chauvinism co-opted the ruthlessness of colonial rule, leading to many pogroms and other heinous acts to be committed against Tamils and other minority communities. The violence has never ceased. Renuga Impakumar is our guest on today's program and she starts here by introducing herself. My name is Renika Imbukumar, and since I was 12 years old, when I went to visit refugees in Villawood, I felt a sense of disgust with the Australian government and treatment towards my Tamil brothers and sisters. Ever since then, um, I've been advocating for refugee and Elam Tamil rights and have used different avenues to spread awareness, such as attending the 43rd session Human Rights in Geneva and speaking at rallies. But Tamil Refugee Council was founded on 2011 in response to the mass arrival of refugees from Tamil Elam. TRC involves raising awareness of the particular challenges facing members of the Tamil Elam community and campaigning to change Australian government refugee policy. What's the situation like for Tamils in Sri Lanka at the moment? So today in its present time, the Sri Lankan government has used the lies of archaeology to demolish Hindu, Catholic and Muslim religious sites, schools and land to build their Buddhist shrines. They have tried to impose their Buddhism and culture upon the Elam community, and they have built Navy and Army camps on the Elam Tamil land to scare and create harm against Tamils. Within the northern province of Sri Lanka, the Navy camp SLNS Ron Wheely owns the few roads leading to the coast. So this camp was built after the end of the armed conflict on land that was owned by Tamils. So within this area specifically, there are at least four Navy camps, 10 Buddhist shrines, two Army camps, one special task force camp and two Singhali settlements. So from Buddhist shrines to Singhali settlements in the northern and eastern province, it is a clear display of the Sri Lankan governments employing genocidal tactics on the Tamil community. And the Elam Tamils are slowly but surely losing their land. And even now, the Tamil individuals have no information about their disappeared loved ones, 
you know, which causes many to live every day in despair. Um, and the situation for Tamils is um, no different to 1948. And Elam Tamils are still continuing to reclaim the homeland, Tamil Elam. And we're trying to draw awareness of the lack of human rights on the island without being attacked. The Tamil Tigers are the most well-known organisation of Tamil resistance, but were any other resistance groups operating in Sri Lanka at, at the time of supposedly independence? And were any of these um, Tamil resistance groups effective? Um, so the, there were various groups, but I would say the LTTE became the only group in the late 80s you know, struggling against the government, but I don't know enough to go into details, but it was only the LTT, um, which is an armed force, which went against the Sri Lankan government and engaged in serious negotiations to grant Tamil some form of autonomy during the Sri Lankan peace process in the 2000s. Uh, and they have passed on their strength to constantly remind, you know, the Elam Tamils to continue resisting against the Sri Lankan state. Well, so they were defeated, arguably. They were defeated in 2009. So what kind of resistance exists now? So the resistance that exists now are Elam Tamils confronting the Sri Lankan state's past and present actions. So, for instance, on Tamil Oppression Day, there were many instances such as students at the University of Jaffna were barred from entering the campus premises today. Um, in an apparent attempt by university authorities to prevent them from protesting on Sri Lanka's Independence Day. But students at the campus had arrived, but security personnel, you know, reportedly blocked them from entering. And as a mark of their protests, the students tied a black cloth to the campus gates. You know, another one is Tamil families of the disappeared and activists rallied in Mulivaikal on Tamil Oppression Day this year, and protesters hoisted black flags in rejection of Sri Lanka's Independence Day. And we've got mothers of the disappeared have been protesting since 2009 every single day without stopping. And in Jaffna, black flags were also raised from Tamil families. And in the northern eastern provinces, there have been ongoing protests and commemorating the fallen despite police intimidation. And the Tamil diaspora continuously drawing awareness through you know, various means such as social media posts and protesting. But I think the Elam Tamils will not stop resisting. And since 1948, we have been resisting and won't stop until we achieve Tamil Elam. And those who were responsible in genocidal massacres of Elam Tamils since 1948 deserve to be tried and you know, put behind bars. There are many Tamils languishing in offshore detention centres run by the Australian government. But do we know about Tamil refugees in any other parts of the world? Like, what about countries like India? What's the situation like for Tamil refugees other than in Australia? So it's not only Australia that is, you know, disgraceful towards Tamil refugees, but nations all over the world are discriminatory towards Tamil refugees, you know, due to the false belief that Sri Lanka is safe. So in India, there remains 90,000 Elam Tamil refugees. So India's Ministry of State for Home Affairs reports that there are 48,843 Elam Tamil refugees incarcerated in 108 state-run camps across Tamil Nadu. And then there's a further 34,135 Elam Tamil refugees staying at a non-camp refugee in Tamil Nadu where you know, they're required to report to the police on a regular basis. 
but the Indian government has actually continuously been reluctant to grant citizenship to Elam Tamil refugees. And only last year, 11 Elam Tamil refugees had tried to kill themselves by taking pills as they were in fear of being sent back to Sri Lanka. And this can be seen like with the controversial Citizenship Amendment Act of 2019, which created a pathway to citizenship from non-Muslim immigrants. So from Afghanistan, Pakistan and Bangladesh, but they had left out Elam Tamils. And even last year, German authorities deported 30 Tamil asylum seekers to Sri Lanka, causing you know, shock and outrage within the Germany Tamil community. And Tamil refugees are living in an unknown sentence as they themselves have realized they have lost freedom in the homeland and also whatever country they have settled in as the world has become more complicit over the genocidal Sri Lankan state. Former Defence Secretary Gotabaya Rajapaksa, he oversaw the 2009 genocidal massacres that we talked about when we were talking about the Tamil Tigers. He was elected president last year. What's the situation like at the moment for Tamils under his rule specifically? So, you know, today the individual, so Gotabaya Rajapaksa is in power, you know, I think he exhibits extreme you know, megalomaniac attitudes towards the Elam population. And he was in power when he allowed the raping and killing of Elam Tamils in 2009. And even now, the International Truth and Justice Project, the latest report, has had many reports where, you know, the Sri Lankan police and army are still abducting, torturing and raping young Tamils. And this happens when they take part in commemoration events, um, anti-government protests or receiving funds from abroad. But I think since the return of the Rajapaksa regime, um, there have been efforts to silence journalists and suppress freedom, and it's been intensified right now. And even, you know, Sri Lanka is currently ranked 127th out of um, 180 countries in the 2021 World Press Freedom Index. And he even stated in his Independence Day speech um, this year, while saying next to an accused war criminal, saying, you know, I govern the accordance with Buddhist teachings which I think is extremely ironic as under his rule, he has caused Elam Tamils to live in extreme fear with his past and present actions, um, you know, and this has been seen with 2009 with Elam Tamils being viciously attacked. What are the demands of the Tamil people? What is the struggle for? So, you know, the demand of Tamil people is gaining back our homeland, which is Tamil Elam. This is where we live. And we've been fighting for this for, uh, since 1948. And we also want, you know, Tamil refugees to be given permanent visa and to end indefinite detention and offshore detention. And we want those who were involved in the Sri Lankan state that persecuted Tamils, you know, to be tried for genocidal crimes and be put behind bars. We want the mothers of the disappeared loved ones to have an answer, a clear cut answer of what occurred to their relatives. And, you know, for the Elam Tamils who have died, we finally want them to rest peacefully after knowing their fight did not fail. And also Elam Tamils being able to commemorate the civilians who have died protecting our Tamil Elam land, as well as died due to the Sri Lankan state genocidal acts. What strategies do you think would work to win those demands? I think, I think the answer is quite easy and that would be resisting, but how we do it is possibly complicated. So no matter what, I think our Elam Tamils should resist. 
So this is done through, you know, educating our youth about the Tamil genocide. So we continuously pass on about the history of our culture and the resilience we must attain. And I think the Tamil diaspora should continue their resistance by educating the nations um, they are in of the genocidal Sri Lankan state. What can you tell me about the international movement for solidarity with Tamil people? Because obviously this struggle can't be won without international support. So I actually think um, there has been no solidarity, which is evident. I think with the case of Muli Vaikal 2009, you know, like hospitals were being bombed. Children, men and women were being raped. And our Tamil diaspora during 2009 flooded the streets. And, you know, we tried to draw awareness, but the um, individuals who had power at the time, you know, decided to stay complicit and not speak out against genocidal regime. And this was even evidence of, you know, the Sri Lankan army raping women and throwing them on buses, shooting naked, tied up children, and um, forcing Tamils to do sexual acts before killing them. But even now, for an example, our Australian government continuously states that Sri Lanka is safe, but refugees are living in fear every day, not knowing what will happen to them if they are sent back. And, you know, other nations like Germany are deporting Elam Tamils back to an unsafe island. So the world has continued to be complicit, I think, even after 2009. And this has caused us Elam Tamils, like me, to face intergenerational trauma because we're trying to speak the truth. What actions can our listeners take to support the struggle then? I think listeners should listen first, you know, on first-hand experiences of genocidal survivors from the Tamil Elam uh, massacre that occurred in 2009. And I think they should visit Elam Tamils in detention as well and understand what we want. And listeners should attend our rallies and become the movement for change. But I think what's crucial is that they should be our spokesperson when needed and when no one listens to us Elam Tamils. Renelgaard, thank you so much for your time on the program today. Is there anything you wanted to add? So Tamil Refugee Council is hosting an event um, this Friday, February 11th, and also February 13th to boycott the Sri Lankan cricket team. So anyone in Sydney, please attend the protest before the match at Sydney Cricket Ground at 5pm. And if also, we are also hosting another one at our May Genocide Rally, which commemorates what happened in Muli Vaikal 2009. And that will also be up on Facebook. And if listeners could also follow our social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And that's the Tamil Refugee Council's yeah. page on Facebook and Twitter. Wonderful, yes. Renogar. Thank you so, so much for your time. Hey, this is Nick Rumpinau. You're listening to 3CR. Please support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. Give money back to the people that give music to you. It is 28 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. You're listening to an interview with Renogar Impakumar from the Tamil Refugee Council about Tamil Oppression Day. And that brings us to the end of another Asia Pacific Currents. How was it, Pia? It's great. Thanks very much for having me along. I'm looking forward to coming along in the future. And and producing some stories too. We'll yeah, get these guys absolutely. recording their own interviews with our comrades from across the Asia Pacific. And Jody. 
Well, I've just noticed I thought that Pia would be the new Pierre and I was hoping that and it hasn't happened and so now I'm worried about who the new Pierre is going to be. <laughs> it's all very polite today, isn't it? Perhaps I've turned over a new leaf in 2022. Let's hope. Maybe, maybe not. Um, it does bring us to the end of the show. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in and staying committed to Community Radio. Coming up next is Palestine Remembered. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.